0: Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things Substrates, Polkadot, and Web3. Today we have core dev Wei Tang and guest host Phil. So, do you guys both want to introduce yourselves? Wei, do you want to go first? Uh, hi, I'm Wei, uh, and uh, I'm a co-developer at Parity Technologies.
1: Uh, I work on uh, Ethereum and uh, Substrict. I'm Phil, and I
2: work on communications at Parity.
0: All right, so I'll start with the first question. Wei, um, we read in your like recent People of Parity that you were really passionate about Rust and open-source technology. So like, what do you like about working on open-source software compared to closed-source, and like, what brought you to Parity?
1: I mean to be honest my first job after uh, I graduated is uh, is uh open source uh work so I don't actually have a lot of uh, closed source experience but uh, I mean I really like working for open source uh because I mean uh you are essentially building uh, a community that that really like to engage with you and uh, I think that's uh, that's much better compared with working in closed source, although I don't have a lot of experience in that, and uh, what really brought me into Party is uh, really amazing work done in Party about the, uh, you, know, you know, the Rust uh, projects and uh, Rust blockchain projects done in Party. Uh, yeah,
2: would you say that like Rust is your favorite language?
1: Yeah, Rust is my favorite language. Uh, like uh, I, when I was uh, in the final year of my university, I did a small Michael kernel projects in Rust. Uh, that is uh, like my first uh, real, uh, like nearly a big project uh, done in Rust. And after that, I really fell in love in Rust. Uh, so uh, from that point, point on, like after graduate, I just tried to search for Rust companies and I joined an Ethereum Classic and then to party.
0: So before Parity, I think you wrote uh, Sputnik EVM in Rust. Can you talk about that?
1: So after I graduated, I was uh, looking for uh, Rust open source job, and at that time I was, I think I was just uh, lucky to to found a, a job in uh, you know so the blockchain industry f- to work for Ethereum Classic, and there they are building a new uh, EVM. Uh, so the basic, uh, I think the the goal was to make sure uh, because at that time all the EVM implementation we have uh, was really Like tangled with the the client implementation themselves and that makes it quite difficult if you want to use the EVM in a situation like if you want to just use the EVM for general purpose uh, computation or if you just want to test out some contracts uh, without running the client. Uh, uh, So those operations turn out to be Uh, quite difficult if you really tangle the the EVM implementation with the client implementation. So at this moment, I think that's why we have a new EVM project started just called Spoon EVM. And uh, prior to that, I don't really have uh, any experience working on the uh, EVM specification. So I just look into the yellow paper and uh, try to... Understand what how this EVM works, and ended up writing a the the EVM implementation based on that, and uh, I think it's a really fun experience. So uh, we ended up passing all the the tests and uh, and be able to use it to sync on the mainnet.
0: So you didn't even like. Look at the client implementation. Do you just look at the yellow paper and you implemented from scratch the EVM. Yeah,
1: and I mean at this moment I'm you, you're not allowed to to look at the uh, any other implementation uh, because, uh, for example, Gas is licensed under LGPL and Party is licensed under GPL three, but we want the Spoony EVM to be licensed under Apache. And uh, so I'm actually not allowed to look at any other implementation at that time. Uh, so the only source of truth I had was yellow paper. That turned out to be enough. Uh, there are each cases that are not really well specified in the yellow paper, uh, but they are they are picked up by the the test. So that's how I ended up. This uh, this this is this this working.
2: That's uh, that's amazing. Uh, a lot of people we've we've heard yeah because of this they. They're running under the same license. They're able to look at other clients, but that's an interesting challenge. And uh, congratulations for overcoming it. Um, yeah, was the the Apache two um, license necessary condition for the etc team, uh, or something you wanted to have personally?
1: Uh, I mean, something the etc team wanted to have uh, for for them because uh, I mean, some enterprise may have considerations on the license issue.
2: And, and for those who don't know, like the GPL licenses are, which is what Parity and, uh, similar to Geth, what that's running, um, require other open source projects to keep their code open source. And Apache is, is much less restrictive in that it allows, um, companies and individuals to, uh, modify the code and keep it closed source. So, yeah, that's an interesting, yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Um. How how has the Sputnik
1: VM uh, been used in ETC? Uh, so we we had an old project that uh, that is in the so-called the classic gas, basically the, the the Ethereum classic fork of the go Ethereum. We have the smoothie VM integrated uh, onto that version. So basically, you just pass a pass a flag onto the pass a, a a config parameter onto the classic guest and uh, run it, and it will use the uh, Spoonie VM instead of the Im- embedded uh, VM uh, to execute the, the blockchain. So we had that project. Uh, yeah, and I think that's the, that's the only uh, only practical usage of Spoonie VM as far as I know, but uh, I remember there are some other teams uh, who try to use Spoonie VM, but it's just uh, out of my my knowledge.
0: Can you talk about like integrating this into other clients? Because like the you wrote Sputnik EVM in Rust, but it's used in other clients that are not written in Rust. And so can you talk about like building an Ethereum client but using the Sputnik EVM and like how it integrates with other clients? Yep.
1: Yeah. So uh so to do this, we actually first need to get a C interface. Uh it's basically a uh, C interface uh, built on top of the Rust library. So that's what we call the Spoonie VM FFI. And uh, uh, that interface is basically you uh, uh, export a C header. And uh, from that C header, we then, uh, for example, if you want to integrate the, into Go uh, in the classic S, then what we do is we just uh, use a tool called C Go, uh, which uh, parse the... The the C harder we just generated, and then from the Go side we then can call all those functions from the uh, from Spooning VM. So the Spuni VM is actually quite self-contained, so it doesn't need any callback functions or any other crazy inputs. So uh, that's uh, that's really quite easy to use.
0: How did you come up with the name Sputnik VM?
1: uh i that name is not what i came up uh but puni I, I remember is the first satellite uh from the soviet union so i think that's there's something related to first or something
2: cool yeah you've been very active in uh contributing to the development of ethereum as well as ethereum classic uh through like a. Ethereum improvement proposals and many EIPs you've drafted. And one one such one is uh, changing the way smart contract accounts are handled by the EVM as it changes over time. And it's called account versioning. Could you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, so account versioning is basically like provide some better insurance for backward capability. So the idea uh, actually come as early as... Uh, from the early days of uh, when the Ethereum was uh, created. Uh, so at that time, we were already talking about, like, probably we want to drop EVM and uh, uh, use WebAssembly, uh, which naturally leads to the EVASM, the Ethereum-flavored uh, WebAssembly. Uh, and uh, at that time, we already need uh, to, a way to distinguish online contracts, uh, which are EVM or which are uh, EVASM. Uh so in that case you already already need a conversioning. Uh and later we have the the EIP 150 hard fork which is a hard fork that will fix some spam attack on Ethereum. That is uh, that is totally necessary. Uh but from that time the Ethereum Classic community has already raised concerns because the EIP 150 uh has actually stopped some contracts from functioning. So from that case uh it comes uh, the first uh specification, which is uh, EIP, ECIP what 1040-1040. Uh for that EIP we have the like it, the idea is already quite similar to what is uh, uh the rough consensus today. And uh and on the Ethereum side later we have the EIP uh 1283, which uh, is a gas code change uh that try to reduce the gas code some uh contracts, but later turned out to break some online contracts. And we also have EIP1884, uh, which is a gas code, also a gas code chain that tried to uh, write some gas codes on chain to, to make the chain work better. But turned out that if we do things like this, then uh, it can also break some contracts that are already deployed on chain. Uh, so from the Ethereum side, we, we also have the interest that uh, we want to change the gas code freely or we want to add new opcode freely. But we also want to make sure that the contracts that are written in the past always works. Uh, so from the case of 1283 and uh, 1884, is, uh, it turns out there's a, there's a vacuum that we just uh, need to fill to make sure that we can uh, have both at the same time. So, that is uh, why the Ethereum community are so talking about account versioning.
2: Yeah, it's difficult to have backwards compatibility in a way that yeah, doesn't break everything, um, break certain contracts especially. And yeah, because that's one of the, the implications of account versioning, if, if I'm correct, is that it guarantees, if not highly incentivizes, uh, eternal backward compatibility. Is, am I correct in, in that uh,
1: assumption? Yeah, it's a, it guarantees like a contract. If uh, writing in the past works, then it will always work from the EVM side. Uh, but there may be some other, like there are really narrow edge uh, cases that can blo- break this in the block side, but that's that's quite edge cases. that. It, that, that is probably not going to happen. So it's, it, it provides really strong guarantee for backward capability.
2: OK, well, if, if you do have those guarantees and we find in the future that there is an error that needs to be fixed, um, would this prevent such uh, any changes to, um, to improving like an opcode gas price or anything like that?
1: This was the concern. Uh, but. Uh, the thing is, so this this, this actually requires some additional uh built on top of account versioning. So, what we call the forward uh, compatible uh, Ethereum virtual machine. So, uh, this is also known as the versionless uh, EVM. Uh, so, what we do is we basically redesign the EVM uh, so that any new opcode added or any guest code change made on the EVM side will not break backward capability. Like, we make this a, a strong guarantee on the design side of EVM. So this is actually not that hard to do. For example, for the, to make sure that when adding new opcode doesn't break uh, backward capability, then what we need to do is basically disallow the deployment of uh, unused opcodes. In that case, there will not, never be a conflict. And uh, if we want to make gas code change never break backward capability, what we need to do is uh, make gas an un- unobservable behavior uh, inside the EVM. So smart contracts cannot access information from gas and they cannot make any assumptions, uh, which uh, has already been deemed by car A lot of car dives has really bad practice anyway. Uh, so we can do those two things. Then. This basically brings us with a forward compatible EVM design. And then what we can do is we can have a legacy version, which is basically frozen. It's the current version of the EVM. And we have a version 1, which is a new version that has those uh, forward compatible features of the EVM deployed. And in that case, whenever we deploy a new feature, we just uh, implement it on the version 1. Of the account version, and uh, from that side, it, there will never be a breakage of backward capability. But it is, it is still the case because we need to continue to support the version zero, the legacy version. So, if, if for example, there is a denial of service attack on EVM, uh, then we still need to change something. We probably still need to change some gas codes on uh, on the legacy version of EVM in that case. Uh, it will be inevitable that backward recovery will slowly be broken uh, for that particular version and our a small set of contracts. Yeah, that
2: makes sense. And like, But one of the cooler things about like, shifting gears a little bit from account versioning, one of the things that account versioning enables is another Ethereum improvement proposal draft that you have, uh, which is EIP2225. Um, which explores the technical possibilities of how to merge two Ethereum-like chains together. As somebody who works both on Ethereum Classic and Ethereum, that has some pretty profound implications of uh, maybe one day allowing these chains to talk to each other again. Is that the goal
1: of this this EIP? Or could you explain the goal and uh, how does this work? Uh, Yeah, sure. So uh, the 2225 is basically a proposal that a technical proposal that provides a certification that allows us to merge blockchains such as Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. So how we do this is we basically just um, uh, merge the state route and so those two blockchains will share the, the proof of work. So uh, it is actually more secure. And, uh, and in this way, we also allow uh, the, the inter, inter-blockchain communication between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic because now you can, you have a, when given a Ethereum state route, you always know the Ethereum classic state route. So you can just uh, do some trivial uh, addition of opcodes in EVM to allow those cross-chain communication to happen. I mean, the main motivation for this uh, is that we have currently it's really easy to create a chain split. Like if you want to split a chain, for example, uh, split from uh, to Ethereum or Ethereum Classic, that's quite easy. You just uh, disagree on something, and then it uh, it just works. <laughs> uh, but but after after that, uh, if the if the dis- disagreement disappears, if the communica- if the community decide to come together again, uh, there's currently no way to merge those blockchains together again. So it's kind of always one way. You you can always you can split, but you can't merge. Uh, I just think that's a that's a bad thing. So this is why I designed this proposal uh, to provide some technical specification for merging. I, I expect in currently and in the future, the the side of Ethereum and Ethereum Classic should be more friendly with each other. So I'm hoping that uh, merging those two two blockchains can eventually happen someday.
0: Would the clients running on the merge chain have to store the state of both chains or would they just keep their own state but they have another connection to the outside chain? Uh,
1: they, they, need to store, uh, uh, they need to store state of birth scans. Uh, yeah, but uh, but actually the 2225 is a slightly old uh, specification. I actually have a new specification called setbin which is uh, is similar to the the two 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 five. Uh, blockchain merger proposal Uh, but it also allows uh, each client to choose which state you actually want to verify and uh, you can just choose to only verify one state then you actually only need to store that particular state.
0: So you have miners working on the same chain together but each miner or each node can verify different parts of states? Yeah
1: So, uh, so the miner will always like all the blockchain, uh, no matter is uh, to the 2225, or we use the 2225 slackation or the set bin it uh, only mine a uh, single chain. So, all the participating uh, states, uh, for example, if we merge Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, or the extreme State and Ethereum Classic, they all share the same uh, proof of work. Uh, but they still have their own, own individual, like the the state transition function that they can't decide for themselves.
2: So in a way, this kind of goes like a a
1: roundabout way
2: of sharding blockchains.
1: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I I actually think this is actually sharding on proof of work, but many people will disagree with me uh, uh, in that.
2: So since two groups of miners are coming together, um, they're not competing anymore, correct?
1: Uh, miners are not competing anymore.
2: Okay, so they so a miner either Ethereum Classic, Ethereum in this scenario doesn't matter, and uh, a miner will mine both state roots. Yep. Yep. Okay, that's really cool. I'm definitely interested in keeping up with the progress of this, and because you're right, it's there's it's easy to to fork chains, it's easy to split them, but coming back together, there's no specification of how to do that, and that would be really great to see. Yeah, I heard another proposal that involves uh, multi-client transaction verification for Ethereum. Could you explain what what the motivation of that is
1: and how that works? Uh, So the the multi-client transaction verification uh, is basically something that we, uh, because uh, the motivation is like this. So currently we have different multiple uh, client implementations. And in the past, it happens that uh, those implementations can disagree on some execution result uh, in a very subtle way. So if this ever happens on the mainnet, then that's a really bad thing. Uh, Because uh, it means if, if some miners are on one client implementation and some other miners are on other implementation, then what will happen is those two uh the will basically a fork. Like those those two uh client implementations will basically go into their own blockchains and disagree with each with each other. Uh this is what called a consensus split. Uh this happened in the past for for Ethereum, uh and when it happens, uh, it basically means uh the network is halted for like at least for for several hours or or sometimes even several days, uh where there's uh no transaction, uh, no transactions on exchange or can be made. Uh, so uh, that's quite uh, like really huge expense for further for further blockchain. And uh, the multi transaction uh, proposal basically says that it's basically a way to fix this problem. So how we do this is we uh, redesign our client, client architecture to make it modular. So we always split our client implementation. Two parts. For example, we have the client implementation of the networking layer, and we also have things like the block execution layer. So, and also like transaction pool, RPC stuff. So, when we make 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 the client implementation modular, we always make sure that there's a really clear boundary between the block, uh, the the EVM execution, the transaction exe- execution uh, layer, and the rest of the the VM. Uh, So after we do this, uh, what we can do is we can swipe off this uh, transaction execution layer and uh, replace it with other uh, implementations and still get a functional client. So a miner can then uh, just use a transaction execution layer that uh, have multiple uh, EVM implementations underlying. Uh, So in that case, uh, when a transactions uh, when a miner sees a new transaction uh, it will pass it into this transaction layer and this transaction layer uh, will use all, all those multiple implementations uh, to execute this transaction simultaneously so it will only include a transaction into a block if all those EVM implementations agree and with each other, so that is that should always be the case. Uh, but uh, in uh, in those subtle consensus split, split uh, cases, that uh, there may be an exception. And when we do this, when the consensus, when like for example, multiple EVM implementation implementation disagree with each other, uh, what will happen is that this miner will just uh, refuse to include a transaction that. May cause this uh, this consensus split, so the network will still functioning it will still produce block it may in this consensus split case it may under a slight denial denial of service attack because uh, an attacker can just uh, broadcast multiple uh, transactions that may that will all cause the cause the consensus split and uh, make the miner maybe include less uh, transactions than than they should be. But uh, this denial of service attack case will be much uh, better than the consensus split case. Uh, so in this case, we can use this multi-transaction architecture uh, to reduce the risk of, uh, of consensus split. Uh, and also, when we do this, we can also hopefully to make sure future upgrades can be included faster, because now we need to worry less about the consensus split uh, thing.
2: That's really really cool. I, I would. I hope there's more progress on that going forward. It's a it's a great safety security improvement for the entire chain. Yeah, since you've been involved in in the drafting and proposing and you know a communication of many uh, EIPs and ECIPs as well, sometimes you know. EIPs may may become a bit contentious in the community, whether that's just within the core developers or beyond. Um, what are some ways you think um, the governance, like how is it going right now, and how could it perhaps be improved regarding
1: the way people discuss and the way we measure sentiment? Like my personal opinion is, like currently we rely too much on the uh, people factor uh, for the governance that. Everything is a human procedure, it's, uh, it relies on whether, whether someone really agrees with this process or whether someone really follows this process or not. Uh, and uh, what I always want to propose is that we should add more uh, automated uh, process into this. For example, to implement some signaling solutions like what, ha- what we have in Bitcoin. Uh, to allow client implementations, allow node implementations to signal that they support a product hard work. I mean, because the Ethereum community uh, don't think that miners do decide everything, uh, but we still have things like the stakeholders, which can do coin votes, uh, and uh, also users, they can use their node to vote. Uh, so if we have those uh, new automated uh, processes, in place, those signaling solutions, uh, then that that will speed up the hard work process, which a lot of uh, community members has thought to be uh, too slow.
0: Um, so you've worked a lot on Shasper and Ethereum 2.0. Um, can you talk about just an overview of Ethereum 2.0 um, before talking about Shasper, and then like what kind of changes are you excited about? Uh, so Ethereum 2.0 is basically a, a proof of stake uh,
1: is uh, the promised proof of stake uh, Ethereum blockchain with sharding. Uh, that's basically the the go of, of Ethereum 2.0, and uh, uh, Ethereum 2.0 is a is a totally new blockchain. Is uh, uh, in many sense unrelated to the Ethereum 1.x blockchain. Uh, so uh, the development is carrying out in different uh, what we call phases. We are currently in, in what what is called the freeze zero, uh, which we will have uh, a blockchain with what is uh, that is called a beacon chain that can do proof of state consensus. Uh, it doesn't have sharding. Uh, it doesn't have accounts. It, you can you cannot do a transaction. You cannot do transfer on this blockchain. And then in the freeze one and freeze two, we will be adding sharding and also. Uh, allow smart contracts to execute in this blockchain using WebAssembly. But uh, that will be uh, in a later stage uh, compared with FreeZero.
2: Yeah, so Parity's Ethereum 2.0 implementation is Shasper, which you're working heavily on, which is based, it's an Ethereum 2.0 implementation based on parity Substrate. Yep. Um, Substrate is a blockchain framework designed to build any custom blockchain and it didn't even have Ethereum in mind when building this. is meant to be a general blockchain framework. How well is Substrate suited for Ethereum 2.0 in its current form and has it been challenging to implement Ethereum 2.0 on Substrate?
1: Uh, I mean we had some really challenging uh, time uh, to design how this Ethereum 2.0 will be working on subject. I think we actually figured out a uh, specification that will work. Uh, so how we do this is we basically create a viper block. Uh, so this viper block will follow exactly the subject uh, specification. Uh, but then from this uh, this viper block we always have one-to-one correspondence of uh, a uh, uh, beacon chain block. So, in this case, uh, we can use this wiper block to uh, allow it to communicate with uh, the rest of the subject ecosystem. For example, allow it to be a power or allow it to uh, talk with other subject-based nodes. And we, uh, we can also uh, just convert this uh, subject wiper block into a, a beacon block, which allows it to talk with other other beacon chain implementation. I think the current uh, design to make this uh, this is uh, on Shasper Shasper. Uh, and uh, on the Shasper side, uh, I think for the subject we have with uh, we, we currently still lack uh, one or two primitives. Those prim- primitives are not like design issues in subject. Uh, it is uh, it is just we haven't finished coding those stuff. Uh, so we need uh, one or two primitives. For example, we need a BRS externalities in subject, uh, and we also need a child store support uh, for the binary micro tree. Uh, we probably also need a, a customizable uh, hash function uh, in subject. We need we probably need some some of those primitives like this to uh, actually uh, implement uh, the external 2.0 zero on subject. Uh, so this is this is talking about uh, building Ethereum 2.0 uh, with a subject runtime. But because we lack those primitives uh, currently, uh, we are also building uh, Ethereum 2.0 with substrate, but without uh, a subject runtime. So in this state, in this case, we just try to reuse the subjects as individual components. For example, the networking layer. And the transition pool layer, we try to reuse them as individual components, but not try to build a sub-tree runtime uh, on top of it at this moment. Uh, I think we are trying to uh, use uh, this uh, to build this uh, Ethereum Proof 1.0 without sub-tree runtime uh, so that we can catch up uh, with the rest of the Beacon uh, Chan uh, team implementation schedule. And But we are also gradually working on the Ethereum Proof 1.0 with, with sub runtime version.
2: That's really cool that there's two tracks going on at the same time, so uh, we can continue to explore how Substrate can fit into this and um, making sure we get those primitives on time to get a ETH 2.0 client.
0: Yeah, I, On the way to ETH 2.0, what do you think are the biggest challenges in designing uh, Ethereum 2.0 outside of Substrate, just the whole concept of ETH
1: 2.0? I'm actually slightly worried about uh, the proof-of-stake uh, algorithm, uh, currently, we are using a Casper FFG, but uh, from my understanding, it uh, it seems to lack some some slight properties that may end up not happen in in real network. But that's that's still a slight concern. Uh, this is a proposal to add uh, the CBC Casper into the Beacon Chain, uh, which hopefully will relieve some of the issues. But uh, I'm 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 actually really hoping that that can happen. Uh, another thing uh, I slightly worry about is the block verification time. Uh, so uh, because each of the beacon nodes will need to uh, actually, like there will be a really large number of validators on chain, and, uh, and there is no process of nomination. So all those validators will participate in the same proof of stake process, and uh, this actually impose a slight challenge on the block validation time. Uh, so uh, whether we can actually finish validating a block uh, within uh, the block time, uh, that is something I worry about. But I think that can also be solved by doing proper uh, client optimization, uh, make sure that everything is, uh, should, is as, as fast as it should be. Uh, I think it, it, this problem can be solved.
2: Have you been involved in any of the design decisions and giving feedback and such concerns
1: uh, with the uh, research team? We like for Shasper, We we have some instance, instances instances when we think the the spec uh, was not correct. Uh, there are some bugs in it, and uh, the research team was uh, quite uh, responsive uh, to fix those issues and uh, addressing the concerns.
0: Yeah. So. More recently, you implemented an EVM on Substrate and I think you did it in like just a couple of days. (laughs) Can you talk about like why an EVM on Substrate is valuable and how people would use it? Uh, So
1: the EVM on Substrate is uh, mostly meant for a capability issue. So some company or teams may want to use Substrate, but they also want to power their existing uh, Ethereum smart contracts onto Substrate. So, in that case, you can just use a subject EVM module, uh, which allows
0: unmodified uh, Ethereum contracts to run on subject. Uh, Yeah. What are some of the challenges of running EVM bytecode in the substrate environment?
1: Uh, I think the only challenge we had was to design the cross communication, uh, like uh, from EVM uh, to the rest of the subject ecosystem, uh, I think this, this has been fixed by uh, designing like uh, precompile contracts, like having just having additional precompile contracts that can use those pre-compiled contracts to uh, talk with the rest of the subject ecosystem. Uh, but uh, with uh, I mean for that part. Uh, we fixed that in, in, in design, but uh, we still need to implement the cross-communication. Uh, that is uh, uh, not in the initial PR at this moment. Uh, another challenge, I think, was uh, performance. I mean, we are running an interpreter, which is EVM, um, that sometimes uh, this, this interpreter will run uh, native, will run in native in, uh, environment in subject, or it will be run in another Currently, still interpreter the WebAssembly. assembly. Uh, so, the, whether the EVM will be slow or not uh, is also a concern. Uh, but uh, I mean, uh, ther- theoretically, we should be able to make this as fast as running uh, Ethereum smart contracts on, for example, in party Ethereum or Gas, uh, because party Ethereum or Gas they all just use the uh, EVM. Interpreter design, they don't have uh, like much optimization on the EVM side. They have a lot of optimization on the state, like side But on the EVM side, it's just an interpreter. Uh, so if we always run subject in the newest version uh, so that it's uh, native, it, it executes the state using the native environment, then the performance is actually comparable with the current party serum and gas. But it, it is indeed true that we probably won't be able to implement uh, something like EVM JIT, which uh, compels the, the EVM smart contracts into native environment. Uh, we probably uh, won't have something like this in the subject EVM module uh, in the foreseeable future.
0: Have you tried running any Solidity contracts, like on a testnet or anything? Uh, I think there's currently progress, uh, the carrier is uh, working on this. All right, and. You have a couple of side projects too, uh, Solary and Kulupu. Can you give a description of each one?
1: Uh, so, Solary and Kulupu are all uh, proof of work projects. So, they just, uh, those two projects are basically trying to uh, bring some of the subject concepts, for example, on chain governance uh, and uh, foreclass upgrades into the proof of work world. So, Solary is, uh, is a design that tries to be uh, as minimal as possible, so we design the, the the runtime, the so-called the uh, uh, runtime with uh, nearly no externalities at all. And uh, for who, uh because uh, I mean, for sorry, the the thing, the the drawback for doing this is that it will need a lot more engineering efforts because you need to uh, spend more time on optimization because you don't have any externalities and uh, you need to. Try try by to optimize them to make the speed uh, really fast. Uh, so the group is a more practical approach to uh, try to guide subject on proof of work. So we basically just use uh, the subject framework and uh, plug in uh, proof of work consensus. And, uh, and then you get a, get a running uh, subject blockchain that is on proof of work. And why are you so interested in proof of work? Uh, I mean, because I I have no uh, objection to proof-of-stake, but currently I still think we uh, need to do a lot more research on proof-of-stake to make sure everything is secure, and uh, I still, so far, haven't found like, uh proof-of-stake algorithm that I'm really satisfied with, so that's why I'm still like kind of in the proof-of-work camp.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> And so, what's what are some of the challenges or differences of upgrading a proof of work blockchain without a hard fork versus a proof of stake blockchain?
1: Uh, so it's actually slightly different because for uh, for subject uh, we, when you do an online on chain upgrade, uh, the thing is you also need to care about the consensus uh, because the consensus uh, the the blockchain can have some minor forks like like it can. Uh, some nodes can disagree which one is the best block. So in that case, we can have situations. For example, one node is uh, is has already upgraded, another node may not be upgraded, and later we need we may we, those two there may be a reorg happen uh, that causes an upgrading did nodes uh, to need to reorg into an upgrading node. So we have those complicated situations, and for. Uh, the proof of stake. Uh, how we deal with this is we basically uh, set we have the concept called block finality, which means if a block uh, is past the finality period, then it basically is frozen and it's always on the on the main chain. And if that happens, uh, we have this uh, this this assumption. So what we can do is we basically set the on-chain governance. Uh, to have a longer period than finality. And in that case, you always work. But for proof-of-work, we have probabilistic finality, but we don't really have a concept uh, just the same as proof-of-stake uh, block finality. So in that case, we can't rely on uh, this kind of information for the upgrade. And it indeed impose some design challenges. For example, uh, how do we actually deal with uh, the proof-of-work algorithm change uh, and uh, actually, you can't just uh, allow the, the the runtime to choose whatever for work algorithm they want because you don't have block finality. And uh, if you really do that, then it's uh, it's it's attackable. Uh, so what currently in group uh, how the design group works is we uh, basically just. Uh, only allow a limited set of approval work algorithms uh, to be upgrade, upgraded. This, this, uh, this, this algorithm, algorithm set can, uh, can increase, can be appended in the future, but we only, only allow a limited set. And uh, in those limited set, we always make sure that whenever we switch from one like, algorithm into another, then the difficulty that you generate is always comparable. So in that case, you can make sure the, the upgrade process is secure. But if without this assumption, uh, without these preconditions, then it is, it is really not.
0: Yeah, I think like to kind of rephrase the problem here, um, just for listeners that may have gotten lost, um, like in a proof-of-stake blockchain with deterministic finality, you can put a runtime upgrade in, and when you call it final, you can say, like, well, this is the new runtime. But in proof-of-work, you can never... Even if you put a runtime upgrade on a block, you can never be sure, right? Uh,
1: but there's 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 probabilistic finality. Uh, so if if it, if this uh, this upgrade has like for example enough blocks, then you can almost certain that uh, this block is in. But but in 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 those scenarios, there uh, what I was talking about is uh, is uh, is that the attacker can manipulate the difficulty uh, the difficulty parameter of this blockchain if we don't make sure that uh, all the proof of work algorithms are comparable in terms of their difficulty.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, Phil, do you want to ask anything more? <laughs> no, I think
2: that was amazing. It was really, really a pleasure hearing from you.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on, Wei. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about or ask people to visit GitHub, Twitter?
1: Uh, no, no, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, th- thanks. Yeah, thank you, Wei. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io slash newsletter.